What the flying fuck is going on in the world of aviation? Welcome to the very first episode of What the Flying Fuck, the alternative aviation podcast from Hushkit. Welcome, you high bypass turbo fans, you off-bore sightseers, you two-stage Merlins, you frigging biggins and brigands, you contra-rotators, F-35 haters, and Martin Baker baiters, you hustler escape pod bears, you skewers in the sewers, and wyverns in the sewers, and hewers on final reproach. This show is for you. We will be trespassing into the forbidden hangar and skyjacking all time and airspace in search of the truth behind our favourite flying machines. Welcome. My name is Joe Coles and today we will be flying where we like and we have a very special guest for episode one, Mr. Al Murray. Let's go. I want to talk today about, is it fair to say it's your favourite aeroplane? I think if I, I mean, I really do think if I had to pick one, it's the sort of romance of it and the, the design of it and the style of the darn thing. I, I think this probably is my favourite, my favourite Second World War. I, I hate the expression warbird. I really don't like that. But yeah, I suppose so. Yes, I say it was. Yeah, because because the thing is, is I, I'm a, I'm a man of my times and Spitfire 5 bees and all that Um of which I made many airfix versions, are sort of imprinted on me. But actually, the whirlwind is, the Westland whirlwind is just that little bit cooler, I think. It is cooler, because I guess it's saying, having the Spitfire as a favourite plane, is like saying the Beatles are your favourite band. It's kind yeah, of... Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in, in a way. Yeah, and, show, and, and, yeah. yeah show an interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, just let's say a little bit about the whirlwind. For a start, it was, it was made in small numbers, wasn't it? Yes, 116, I think, delivered to squadrons, and which is remarkable given that they only made 301 of the engines, uh, the Peregrine engines. Wow, not many spares then, right. So not many spares. And quite clearly, you know, if, if you want a sort of indication of the loss of faith in, in, a, in, a, in a project in its sort of 360 degrees, there it is. They don't make the engines. They build the planes, and that's your lot. Um, but I just sort of think what it's got is it's got that, you know, because again, I mean, to, 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 sorry to bring up the Spitfire again, but there's, the Spitfire has all that Schneider Trophy stuff around it, right? And obviously that it's not the same aeroplane. The Spitfire is not the hot rod that those float planes were in the thir- 20s and 30s. It's not the same aircraft. And it's sort of silly to silly to think that, that they, there's too much of a connection, actually. But the whirlwind really does look like a sci-fi streamlined Buck Rogers aircraft. Because it's all form and function in sort of uh, one beyond beauty. It's kind of an ugly plane as well as a really beautiful plane. You know, the, the, the fuselage is just a tube. A tube, that'll do. It doesn't need, it doesn't need anything more than to be, a, to, to be the purest cylinder. And I, I sort of admire that. The way that the fuselage sits up under the line of the engines and everything. There's not an ounce of fat on the plane. And I sort of, I like that sort of ugly beauty about it. It's it's a very a very elegant kind of greyhound look, and it kind of yeah. resembles its designer a bit. I mean, its its designer <laughs> was a guy called Teddy Petter, um, yep. which sounds like a fetish, but it was actually <laughs> actually a man, uh, and he kind of it's the, it's the thing you grow out of, Teddy Petter, isn't it? Teddy Petter, yeah. <laughs> well, he never grew out of it and remained known as Teddy Petter. <laughs> 
So if, if we go back a bit into the history of the world, when we see the desire for greater and greater firepower in the interwar period, don't yeah. we? We've got two guns for a long time, and yep. the British air staff are always asking for more firepower. Everyone says two, yeah. we say four. They say yeah. four rifle caliber, we say eight rifle caliber. Yeah. And then we've got all stressed metal-skinned bombers coming in in the 30s, and people can yep. think, how the hell are we going to shoot those things down? We need bigger yeah, guns. Yeah. Well, and and that's evident in when the Battle of Britain comes is is you know you you can you, the, the comparative sort of effectiveness of firepower between the you know your Messerschmitts which are cannon armed and you only really need to strike a a a, a fighter like a Spitfire Hurricane with a couple of cannon rounds and and uh, exploding cannon rounds and that aircraft's done for. Whereas the three hundred three rifle rounds, you know you, you you've you've got to give her a bomber, a Heinkel or something, a belly full of those. To, to be sure of shooting it down, and even the even the even Messerschmitts 109s and stuff, although they're a high stress sort of race racehorse airframe, uh, you know rifle bullets aren't enough, and especially at the velocities they're being fired at, um, uh, 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 and the velocities the planes are going at, you're just not delivering enough force to the airframe to damage it properly. And you 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 can you know that's a self fulfilling prophecy. But as they're loading up the Spitfire and the Hurricane with more and more machine guns, they're still falling way short of what the Luftwaffe can do. And so to to go back a little bit to the world's yeah. origins, in the sort of early sort of about nineteen thirty three ish, yeah, uh, they're starting to think it'd be great to have explosive shells to deal with yeah. these, these new metal bombers. I, I believe they might be illegal at this point against the. <laughs> Petersburg Convention, but they're not really worried by that, and they work on it. But yeah. the only game in town at that point is this huge, great 37 millimeter cannon, which is yeah. too big. So there's the yeah. search, isn't there, for a 20 mil, which yeah, is yeah, the yeah, smallest yeah. possible size. And also, the, the British can't quite get this right. They're behind on this anyway, aren't they? If, with with all their fighter spec, the Germans have figured out that they need to do this, uh, and it's a it's a French cannon that the whirlwind ends up with, a, his, the Hispano Suiza, which is a French design. So I think it's quite interesting that everyone's sort of groping around looking for this solution, aren't they? They are. And the, the French come up with something which is lighter than all the rival designs, has a higher yeah. rate of fire. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a bit of a squabble because the British are like, we want our own factories. And the, yeah. the French set up a company that's called something like the British Research and Manufacturing Company, which is <laughs> British. And then the air stuff come out with, they want um, F-37, 35, specification yeah. they want something yeah. four cannons uh top speed 350 miles an hour and this is where our guy teddy petter yeah. offers offers the best the best design doesn't he yeah absolutely uh, the whirlwind is when it's when when they you know pro when it's prototyped and tested it's very 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 quick and quick, quicker than anything else around isn't it that's the the interesting thing about it which is which is i think another reason why i really love this plane is because because it's a it's a big fat what if, you know, uh, uh, what what if they'd been able to? Because it's much it's faster than the Spitfire, and it's and it's harder hitting. It's a sort of it's a it's your what if of a what if of the Battle of Britain. Although of course, Fighter Command wins the Battle of Britain, what, but here be an even more decisive way of winning it with an aeroplane that just looks so sort of like a great big dirty hot rod. <laughs> it is. It's, so, it's all about the engine, like you say. There's the skinny yeah. tube of a fuselage. These big old bastard engines, which are in beautiful nacelles. Yeah, and then you've got four cannons concentrated right in the nose yeah. you've got this you know it's that's where you want the guns really don't you for accuracy yes you don't have to do any of this snazzy sort of uh, harmonized uh, gun harmonizing and all the sort of stuff that you end up having to, you know with the spitfire with the with the 
the the two three oh three is so far out on the on the wings that you know you've got to do this harmonizing and there's all the debate in in fighter squadrons about how you where you harmonize them 50 yards 100 yards 200 yards with this thing it's point and shoot isn't it and the guns are more powerful so we've got an aircraft and, and understand it's top secret until 1942 partly or mostly to do with the fact it has cannons cannon rather so it's fast it's well armed it's got beautiful visibility it's very maneuverable yep. so why are only 116 made well, I mean, it's because because in the meantime, you know, the, I think the villain of the piece really here is again, it's the Spitfire. The airframe, that airframe is so open ended and they're able to bring cannons online with it and speed the plane up, upgrade the power plant. And of course, it's it, it, I don't know if it's actually I don't know if it's cheaper or not, because after all, the world whirlwind has two engines. So it's twice as complicated to run. You know, it's simple in simple irk terms. You need you know, you need more man hours on keeping the aircraft going. So unfortunately, it's this it's timing really, and there's all this teething we're getting the engines right, and Rolls Royce don't seem to have it looks like Rolls Royce don't quite commit completely to the to the engine. But, but then why would you? You know, if you've got the Merlin it's working, you're churning out a power plant that works. Why go down what's quickly appearing to be a dead end? And it's the, it's the Peregrine engine we're talking about, which yeah. is a little bit smaller than the Merlin, isn't it? I think we're talking about something like right. seven hundred horsepower or something. It's yeah, yeah, it's well, yeah, they get it up to eight eight hundred and eighty five horsepower, I think, and it's a bit of V twelve and 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 all that, and it's it's a successor to a type the Kestrel, which they've been using between the wars. So it's kind of peculiar that it doesn't work out because Rolls Royce, largely by process of trial and error, they do know what they're doing by this point. But you know, you end up with this this engine that goes on this aeroplane that the timing's wrong, and and as a result, you know that's why there's only 116. That's why by it's pretty quickly taken off doing circuses and rhubarbs and all that, and it's put on attacking shipping rather than tangling with um, you know 109s and 190s and all that sort of stuff. Because unfortunately, it's sort of its window window was a little earlier, and you get the feeling if you know Petra had been able to get the thing the the plane together more quickly get iron out the problems more quickly then the whirlwind would have been a mainstay you know and and had a had an anti-bomber role certainly but you know not to be and as you say it it was the great what if of the battle of britain because it could have been tremendously yeah. useful could have been a contender yeah. could have been a contender yeah. um, <laughs> we've got this engine supply issue and uh yeah, yeah. Like rolls royce is busy with their busy with their merlins um, yeah but yeah, we have this beautiful, very effective aeroplane. Also, it's got a few innovations, hasn't it? It has. It's got wing radiators, which I think is quite yep. an innovation at the time. And this, yeah, yeah, full visibility for the pilot. Oh yeah, I mean with the with the bubble, you know, it's got the the teardrop, you know, bubble canopy thing that you don't that that, that you don't see really on interceptor types until quite later, uh, later on in the war. You know, it, it's just it's got so much going for it, and in in a way, you know, I suppose. Petter's proved right by the adoption of some of those kind of uh, design styles that have since simply become standard in fighters. But I, I guess, you know, the, the Merlin, the Merlin, by the time the by the time the whirlwind's done, the Merlin's doing 1500 horsepower. Why do you need two that do 800 if you can have one lump that does basically twice the power? It's sort of that you can see that you can see the sort of the, the, the thumb screws of the economics closing in on it. Which is such a shame because it, it looks so cool. You know, it really is like a Buck's, Buck, Buck Rogers hot rod. I mean, the interesting thing is apparently Sholto Douglas proposed putting Merlins on it at one point, you know, when they were trying to figure out what to do with it. And the sort of prospect of a Merlin-powered whirlwind, I mean, we're, we're talking, that would have been the quickest thing in, on the planet at the time. <laughs>
that would have been incredibly fast. A, a sort of micro, <laughs> micro mosquito. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Petter, of course, go, goes on to get involved in the Nats and the Canberra. He's, he's yeah. already worked on the Lysander. Yeah. Um, and ends up in a, a, a cult in France or Switzerland, mm. I think. Oh, really? Uh, it's called Father Forgets. He joins a religious cult there. Um, really? Yeah. So he was an interesting Oh, wow. Petter. What did they believe in? Uh, I think he was there because he had some medical stuff that he was right. in a faith, faith side of, side of okay. it and some re religious beliefs um, wow. related to whether he wanted to make war machines or not. So yeah, I think it was a oh, very right, okay. guy and always a renegade in his thinking. You know, yeah. like when this yeah. brief first came up, Bolton Paul offers some great big lumbering thing like they like to yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, Sydney Cam says cannons on hurricanes. Yeah. But yeah, he, he really like it was a sort of original thinker, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very interesting guy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And he carries a lot of a, a, kind of a lot of what's going on in the world and into the Welkin as well, which is like a similarly quixotic sort of airframe, isn't it? With a great long wings. And, you know, the, I mean, that and again, a tube for the fuselage. I mean, I've just I've just sort of taken with that. Yeah, we'll just put, stick a tube in it. Does it not need any lines, boss? No, no, no. It's just it's just a cylinder. That's all we need. You know, it, it it's it's going forwards. Don't worry about it. So the whirlwind isn't a waste. I mean, I think that's the other interesting thing is everyone goes through their types that don't work out for them. I mean, you know, the fact that he has the camera and the lightning sort of in his d design hinterland, you know, that people he works with go on to work on those planes shows that, you know, in, in, in a way, the whirlwind is sort of one of the phases he's going through as he gets his ideas together. And that's the problem is the, the timing is the problem more than anything else, not the ideas that have gone into the aircraft, I think. Apparently, the pilots love flying it. They love the fact it had two engines. So, so if one was damaged, you had more of a chance of getting home and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's interesting that he did Lysander too, because Lysander, the army, when they got Lysander, go, oh, this plane's just way too complex for what we're trying to do. And basically, it was ahead of it, essentially ahead of its time. Too clever for soldier pilots, essentially. And so gets shunted, you know, moved into the, the role it became famous for, because it's meant to be an artillery spotter plane, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really, really interesting that Ted has sort of got like a bag full of ideas and and tends to put them all in the plane he's working on at the time. And well, it, maybe it works out. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't. And the whirlwind's one where it doesn't work out, unfortunately. And there's always that like going against the trend, you know, and later on he's, yeah. he's, everyone's making bigger and bigger fighters and then he's proposing the gnat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Little yeah. Thing. So it's, it's yeah. I, th I think, yeah, an amazing guy. I think it's a really cool choice. And I think there is there's a lot to be said for these what ifs and these underdog aircraft. Yeah. You do get a chance to celebrate something that might be overlooked otherwise yeah. by going for these underdog. Yeah. Oh, d yeah. Oh, and and the thing is, when you read about the sorties, it did it did it. It wasn't an underdog when when it ran into the enemy. It did its it did its bit, and it, it's the fact that it was sort of that you know the squadrons that had it were happy with it. So it's unjust as well. It's not just an underdog. It was robbed. The whirlwind was robbed of, of the glory it should have had. And, you know, and there should have been spitfires and whirlwinds on everyone's everyone's posters in the 1970s, not spitfires and hurricanes. <laughs> or even hurricanes and whirlwinds. I'll go, I'll go that far. <laughs> Do not visit hushkit.net because you will be distracted. It's full of thousands of absolutely free, fascinating articles on the stranger side of aviation, interviews with pilots, discussions of crazy fighter types you've never heard of, 
do not go to hushkit.net because it will consume your life with titillating, entertaining, informative, deep dives into the world of aviation. I want to go back to something you touched on earlier, which is, yeah, you're just the man to ask, maybe on this one, <laughs> which is you mentioned Airfix, and something yeah. I think about is, you know, you're a, an historian as as well as someone who I imagine had a sort of childhood, yeah, uh, love of models and Spitfires and things Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yeah. How do you fit those together in your head? Um, I, I, you know what? When I think when you're a kid you don't think about how those have to fit together in your head. You know, as much as anything, the Airfix catalogue would be saying you, you'd be you'd be trying to complete the sets as much as anything else. Or, or you know, if you had a favourite plane, you'd go back to it. You see, I don't know, because because the cultural place of the Second World War in the 1970s, which is when I, you know, when I, when I was growing up and doing this, it had been to some extent redu- reduced or, or, um, or was being filtered to us through toys in a way that now... You know, Star Wars is the surrogate for combat in people's play life, I think. You know, kids' kids' play life or or the Avengers. Whereas this sort of came out of this peculiar well, Marvel stuff. This came out of this peculiar actual historical place. So I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's a thing I, it's a thing I think about an awful lot. You know, the, the, the stuff I grew up with. And what is that actually? What on earth was going on? You know, um and the you know and the the, the 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 cultural locus of the second world war certainly for my generation and then and then where does it sit for people much younger than me you know like my kids they've grown up with a dad who's dragged them around a tank museum and so on but i don't know where it fits in their understanding of culture you know the the idea of the war being a part of popular culture is is it's a fascinating thing really and I mean, I wrote about it about 10 years ago. I wrote, I wrote a book about this thing of watching war films with my father and growing up on war films and him being completely connected to the Second World War because he was born just before it. And then that he raised me on Spitfires and Action Man and Western Whirlwinds. I almost sort of don't know what that means because, you know, it's like asking a twin. What's it like being a twin? You know, I can't tell you. I don't know if that, I don't know if I've even begun to answer your question because it's a really tricky one. That whereas the the world, you know, the, the airfix would you'd have the information on the instructions in 1942. The Westland Whirlwind debuted with this squadron, and you know, and it was an art, and and you get the little fighter spec thing. Basically, you know, the thing about the fighter specification and then the cannons. Basically, you'd get a little page of Wikipedia on the instructions, and then it would be in French, and then it would be in German, and uh, and. I don't know, you know, so much of my received wisdom about aeroplanes began on those on those instruction notes, <laughs> which is and and stuck and are stuck right in here. You know, there's bit, there's bits and pieces that are still in my still completely in my mind from those instruction notes. The Mark Nine Spitfire, I know about its development in rivalry with the Focke-Wulf FW190 because of those airfix notes. <laughs> That's a very, very interesting answer. And I, I, I just find it super interesting in how the same for me. And, and I grew up with these very fun books that present yeah. very, there's no nuance. This is a really cool machine. This is another cool yeah. machine. Yeah. And this is a lot of fun. And then sort of for me growing up with kind of the Cold War books and toys, and then sort of seeing the news now where you have something that's, you know, obviously the, the real thing is very unpleasant. Yeah. And yeah. And just for me, I find it very interesting how the 
the fun child's interest in me links up to the oh god this is bloody awful kind of adult well well i think i think you know maturity is when when you achieve maturity is when you realize actually you know the you know because I, I, I do find and again the you know the, the the sort of cult of the spitfire um that exists i find it's kind of amazing really because it's this it's only built for one thing it's built for killing people there's no 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 no, no two ways of, of looking at it. It's built to kill people. It's a war machine. It's its function is death. I don't care how beautiful it is or how the sound of the Merlin gives you the feels, right? Uh, what, what feels are you getting? You're, you, the, the feels for murder? I don't I, I, I don't know. And and I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but I still I still can I still sometimes think steady on everybody. You know when they see a, when when people see a Lancaster bomber, you think. You, you know, oh, the, the sound of the four Merlins. Yeah, then the sound of 4,000 Merlins meant you were going to be incinerated. You know, when, when they turned up over Hamburg en masse or, or, or and, 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 you know, people always say Dresden, but like, or any of the other hundreds of German cities that, that were, were attacked from, from the sky. You know, I think what you've got, to, when you look at a Lancaster bomb, you, if you've got nostalgia going on, you, you, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. It's a stealth bomber. It's uh, a cutting edge piece of, murder tech it's what they could do until someone invented the atom bomb and now they've got the atom bomb you know and and because after all area bombing was viewed in exactly the same terms as mutually assured destruction nuclear bombing is now you know in the run-up to the war and was just that's why they did it because they thought it would have that effect because it would do that's what it would do to their enemies you know the, and the and the british state invested in area bombing more than anyone else and was totally into it as an extension of the british way of doing things squaring these circles i think is um it's a thing you it's a thing that you do come to, I think, you know, basically as you as you become a become a grown up and and have to say to yourself, hang on a minute. I mean, because the, the tornado, that, what a cool plane that is, you know, the idea of a, the idea of a tornado, you know, because if you've ever had the good fortune to be on the train to Edinburgh, as you're going across um, the, the Tweed at Berwick on Tweed and a tornado comes up, you know, they come up, they come up the valley below the below the viaduct. I mean, who couldn't be thrilled by that? But its job is death. And I think getting getting your head around that is obviously a thing everyone who was into planes as a child has to do at some point. You 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 got to go. Well, all right, hold on. And obviously, the military cloak all that and the the, the language they use and the sort of the, the you know the, the the colossal euphemisms that build up around military technology. Because otherwise, otherwise, what are they going to sit around and say? You know. Because they talk about destroying the enemy or neutralising, and you know, what else are they going to say? Kinetic <laughs> effect is one, isn't it? Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. State on state kinetic warfare, which is the thing. The thing we're seeing at the moment. Well, kinetic. Well, t- tell me what you mean by kinetic, please. But I think because it. I mean, it absolutely is a thing. I, I, I don't worry about it, but I do think you've got to be completely. You've got to realise that that's the most peculiar love affair um, that people have with aircraft. <laughs> you know. You're you you're more afflicted than me, so um <laughs> You could say that there is having war in a fantasy play place is the best place yep. for it. And yep. that if you are playing with toy tanks or doing DCS blowing up MiG twenty nines, yeah, then the violence that maybe is within us is being expressed as play rather than but I mean that's quite a thin spin, to be honest. Yeah, I mean I I'm, I mean you know, I almost buy that. And I think if, if if that's what good people are doing, then then fine, you know. But the, the, this is the issue, isn't it? 
is that, as we've seen, is that there's, you know, there's only reason, one reason Russia has an army and an air force, it's not to deter anyone, it's to, to use it. And I don't know that playing with Toy Mig in a sandpit did Vladimir Putin any good, you know? <laughs> and yeah, it comes back to that as well. So it's, yeah. it, it's a complicated one. And I think, like, like you said, I am personally very afflicted by it. And I, and yeah. I, I, you know, seeing model kit planes in the local post office was a kind of erotic thrill. You know, it was, yeah. it was yeah. going to Beatty's, which is, was a model shop in London. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was the place to go. And yeah. So it's a, it's a complicated one. And, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of, it, there's, no, there's no answer to it, really. We strongly suggest that you go to unbound.com and pre-order your copy of the Hush Kit Books of Warplanes, Volumes 1 and 2, big, beautiful coffee table books that you want. Incredible artwork, analysis, all of the gen and juice on the aeroplanes that are on the loose in your mind. Go to unbound.com and pre-order the Hush Kit Book of Warplanes, Volumes 1 and 2. Before we go, I just wanted to ask you hmm. if you were allowed an alternative favourite. Oh. So I, I, you, you get one free extra. What would you go for? Well, I mean, the, the and now to go mainstream, the Mosquito, which is just the, the most amazing aeroplane ever. Like everything about everything about it is amazing. Like sheer the sheer glamour of the damn thing in every aspect. And the fact he could do anything outclassed everything that anyone built that was at all at, at all in its peer group. And the de Havilland's are crazy. In what way? Well, just that they lived aviation. The price of being in the aviation game was his sons. The whole thing. Although obviously in, I know that there are no inventors. I know that it's about teams and it's about project management and all that sort of stuff. But that sort of lead from the front style that the de Havilland family had is quite extraordinary. And again, I know that what they're after is big arms contracts. You know, I, I know that. But that sort of basically that interwar thing where you've got families vying for aerospace glory is really incredible. Yeah, is incredible. And, and also having the, the roots of the Comets, which I think it's fair to say that the roots are in the de Havilland 88 racer, which yep. is so beautiful. So I went up to Old Warden recently and was just perfect. Oh, it's fantastic. It. So, yeah. such yeah. a wonderful machine. And the, the, just the lineage of the very, very elegant the de Havilland shapes they went for. All these yeah. lovely compound curves. and Yeah, well, that, the tail that you'll always, the tailplane that, that's on everything and you know even on the horse glider you know the airspeed which is a de Havilland offshoot all that about it and the fact that they were global as well I think is really really interesting that they were they were or, or imperial really in their footprint you know they had branches all over the the empire I think is also really really interesting that and this and it's basically it's a it's it's a family this guy and god knows what Jeffrey de Havilland was like probably an overpowering dinner party guest I don't know but but I just sort of I think all of that, the sort of romance of all that, I think is really, it's kind of amazing that there hasn't been a sort of pot boiler drama about an aviation family. So is that is that your pitch for Netflix for the... Maybe uh, that's it. The De Havilland's. The De Havilland's. Yeah. yeah. And it's all, you know, it's it coming in, tearing off his goggles and going, I can't get it to, you know, I can't get it to turn port clean or whatever, you know, and... and well, all right, Dad, I'll take it up this afternoon and have a go. You know, you know what I mean? And that, oh, I missed, and you could see like a sort of Downton Abbey 
with the de Havilland's, can't you? Oh, Mr. de Havilland, I'm sorry there's a problem with the landing gear. You know, you can, you can see some god-awful ITV class drama forced through the de Havilland's. And, you know, and, and with tragedy and all that built in and stiff upper lip and all that sort of stuff. Who would you cast as Jeffrey de Havilland? The old Jeffrey de Havilland is, I think you go Charles Dance. Him in his stately home, hearing a plane go over and think, oh, you know, that's one of mine or whatever. I just thought you, you need someone sort of um, patrician because he's, he's establishment and engineering establishment. And all that. So you need some sort of some proper stiff upper lip British actor. So I think Charles Dance. <laughs> it's a really good idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got Olivia de Havilland. So you've got, you've got film stars in it. So you've got movie glamour. Yeah. Got, I mean, actually, the more I think about this, what are you going to call it? I think we'll call it the Mosquito. Yeah, it's all there, isn't it? Are you sure, Father? Yes, I think that's absolutely the right idea. When I was a child, I was bitten by a mosquito, and I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. There you go. It's, it's, it's literally, it's writing itself. If you could have a third favourite, what would you go for? I think probably the ME262, because, you know, I know that British invented the jet engine first, and, you know, all the, I know the shape of the folk story. It is quite, I mean, it's always this thing about late war efforts of Nazi Germany where they, where they go, right, we're going to expensively bark up the wrong tree and that will solve all of our problems. And quite clearly, the, the, you know, the way procurement worked was if you had the sharpest elbows and the best ass-kiss technique, you could get your stuff made. And I, I think it's also really, really interesting that, the, you know, that the, they, they turn to jet engines because they know actually jet engines, once you can manufacture them, uh, less complex to manufacture than piston engines. And that that's a big driver in trying to go jet. But the problem is, of course, and it's late period Nazi Germany, they can't get the stuff. The materials don't exist. There isn't the time uh, to prototype things properly. But they still pull off, you know, a, the, a, a proper modern jet fighter in a way that I think the Gloucester Meteor, you sort of think, yeah, you'd, you'd rather have stuck piston engines on that, really. Let's be honest now. That, you, you know, it, it looks like it looks like an airframe in search of piston engines. Then the lines would all work rather than, you know, they bung them on the wing and good luck. The 262 has all the sort of things that you then actually see kind of forever. And I like the fact it looks like a shark. But, I mean, again, what's really interesting about defence procurement in Nazi Germany is all the actually very clever people suddenly being given their head and suddenly being allowed to pursue a project while also tons of chaff is being produced as well and dead-end types and all that sort of thing. And it's really, it's a testament to Willy Messerschmitt's sharp elbows that they actually managed to get this type away and that it works. I think it's, you know, and given the pressure their industry's under as well at this point from area bombing, it's kind of amazing that they do it at all. And it's, and it's got these, it's hugely risky in several ways. I mean, it's, it's got two enormous innovations in one. So it's sort of double the risk. We've got swept wings. Yeah. It's a very new idea. Yeah, yeah. And we've got jet engines as well. So there's, it's, it's remarkably cutting edge and putting two, yeah. like you say, with the Meteor, I mean, it was a more conservative approach, wasn't it? It was just yeah. sticking jets on an old style plane and seeing what happened kind of thing. Which is why it'll never, I think the Meteor will never be admired. Whereas the 262, obviously everyone, after the war, everyone gets their hands on them and goes, right, okay, what, what is there to learn from this? From this plane this thing this thing is actually the future in the way they again in the way that the way they do with the rockets with the you know the with the v1 and v2 too is that people are going well, well this is this is where the action is technologically which is interesting really because after all the the british jet engine program is very much about 1946 1947 you know if the war runs on and post-war 
manufacturing their angle on that was the Germans are trying to get theirs done while the war's still running. So it's, I mean, sort of, you know, because the thing to remember is it's not just about developing the engine, it's being able to mass produce it, being able to maintain it, being able to run it and all that sort of stuff. So the, the sort of bending of their effort, you know, German industry, industry is on such, under such colossal pressure from bombing that it's, it's all the more, it's sort of all the more amazing that they pull it off. I mean, I'm always shy away from praising the achievements of late, late Nazi Germany, as it were. But, but this is one of those things where you think, gosh, it's absolutely amazing they pull this off. Because, you know, the, the, the other jets they produce are much more conservative. Like you say, they're basically standard airframes. They put the power plants on them. But this is like the fact that the engines, the fact that the engines are basically in, you know, essentially in pods under the wing and all that sort of stuff. That's what everyone then does, you know, because that's, that's a Boeing 737 now, right? Like that's precisely an airline. Exactly now. right. And this yeah, is exactly what, in 43, 44. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's true. It's, it's truly amazing. Um, and although they obviously they do test it with a piston engine, test the airframe with a piston engine, so they know they know it's going to work. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would say the the two six two, and and because it's got that that look, that sort of sharky look. Fighter planes need to look deadly, and it it looks deadly. And then you get the Czechoslovakians do an aircraft, yeah, based on it. Is that the S ninety two? That's they right. They basically clone it, don't they? And uh, that's that's going quite late, I think. Yeah. Um, so and the design is still standing up. Like I was doing a top ten fighters of nineteen forty nine, and yeah. I think yeah. still then this Avia S ninety two makes the ten, but it's number twelve or something. And that's five six years later, which is a long time back then. It's nothing well, now. And, it's a long time back well, then. Well, and plenty of time to you know to time to tweak that design and get it right and finesse it in the way that the the Messerschmitt would not have actually had the pressure they're under to deliver it. I also think it's interesting with the 262 is it, is, is it also turns into kind of a what if, similar to the whirlwind, you know, what if, the, what if, because there's the, of course there's the dive bomber requirement or the fighter ground attack requirement that Hitler supposedly imposes on it as a design. And, you know, what they need is a high speed interceptor to intercept bombers and the delay, blah, 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 would that have affected the bomber offensive, which sort of, it's got a little bit of, a little bit of the same story as the whirlwind, you know, what if it had been ready for when there were bombers to shoot down or been able to shoot back down bombers sooner in its sort of uh, career. But for all the what-ifs with the 262, they're then all fulfilled, like you say, in other fighter planes, in, in, other, in other aircraft types and jets. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing for a first jet how much like it's like jets now. You know, if you look at the difference between the first piston fighter aircraft in 1914 and the final piston, piston fighter aircraft in, you know, 1945... That they're unrecognisable. They don't look. They don't look like the same kind of plane at all. Whereas you look at a two six two. You know, stick a great big cannon on that. That could be an A ten type aeroplane. You know, you know what I mean. It's in fact it's snazzier than an A ten because it's got swept wings. And that's that's what its business card reads, isn't it? Snazzier, yeah. snazzier than an A ten. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and we and we see this repeated in history, don't we? Where the the British yeah. emphasising aerodynamics over maintenance. So we get the British de Havilland Comet. The first yeah. jet airliner coming in, beautiful. But the engines are buried away, which are d- difficult yeah. to get to. The Americans yeah. come along with the 707, same as the 262, keep the engines out. You might yeah. be a bit draggier, but it's much easier for everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It might be a bit draggier, but it's easier for everyone. And and after all, especially if you're running an airline, you know, you need to be able to turn the aircraft around quickly, maintain them easily. In the way that maybe a high-performance fighter, the expense is its own reward in lots of ways. 
with, with fighter airplanes, isn't it? Especially if you're a congressman buying them and you're having them made in your um, state. You know, th- those calculations also have to fall into place, whereas, you know, Airbuses or 747s, it's different. Now, I haven't quite decided what episode two is going to be. It might be on the Western Whirlwind. We've already done a fascinating interview on that. It might be a Typhoon Wing Commander. It might be an analysis of Russian air power. All of those are in the bag, but I have yet to decide which will come in the next show. So, stay tuned. I will see you next time on What the Flying Fuck. If, if I can, and I, I'm sort of, I haven't let you think about this question i've kind of <laughs> haven't given you any preparation near these at all if i can add one now you can delete one aircraft from history either on aesthetic grounds or its significance to or just because you don't like it or because someone you don't like likes it delete one aircraft from history uh at the the tsr2 oh nice <laughs> just right <laughs> just just so we never have to hear about it again <laughs> good, good luck when that gets around. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, just honestly, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> For those who don't know, the TSR-2 was a, a British advanced strike aircraft proposed in the 60s, which was cancelled. And there's now this kind of bitter cult, isn't there, around it? Yeah. And uh, you, were, you were talking about sort of the quaintness and love of Lancasters. And there's mm. also people still banging on about TSR-2. OK, it was, yeah, it was amazing technologically, but it's... The love that goes into this nuclear bomber and this this cancellation, well, the anger at its cancellation does. It's a bit peculiar, isn't it? In some ways, like I'm sort of mystified by it because also you 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 know the politics around it and all that sort of thing. I wonder if because uh, it's a Labour government that cancelled it. I wonder if a Tory government cancelled it. Whether people will be even more annoyed. I don't I don't I don't, I don't know because there's so much that you know they smashed up the jigs. Yeah. It was never to be, but. I mean, if I remember rightly, the test flights didn't go particularly well, if I if I if I recall. You know, one of them, the the undercarriage oscillate, you know, gave off a note that made the pilot's eyeballs oscillate on the front he couldn't see. You know, that sort of so like obviously and that's early test flight stuff you find out. That's why you do test flights. But I, I just sort of think it, it occupies this sort of pointy white flying white elephant space in people's imaginations. And I'd take the cult of Concorde over the TSR2 every day of the week. Yeah. I really would. Concorde is similarly sort of uh, revered. And I, uh, where I live, um, I live in I live in West London. And when they flew the last three Concords in in a row, you know, I went out into the park because they used to fly right over behind my garden. So I went out and watched, watched the three of them fly and tried to take a picture on a little digital camera that didn't do any, just, just three specs. And the, the roar of them coming in at five o'clock was a fantastic thing. But also... When the when the last three Concords flew, and I thought, all right, that's that done. We don't. We could we could stop going on about that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which was regarded as heretical in in my in my neck of the woods, certainly. I mean, there's there's so much there's so much to say about that. This idea of uh, nations diminishing and what it says about that. Oh, I mean, it it it's, it, it, it plugs straight into sort of declinist British vibes, and, and of course, declinism is easy as is an easy stance to adopt, isn't it? Because all you have to do is say. Oh, you know, it, it, uh, phone boxes aren't as good as they were. It's easy. There you go. The country's going down the toilet. Whereas, in fact, don't need phone boxes anymore. I've got an iPhone. You, you know, you, you know what I mean. It's like the only thing you can't change is change. And and maybe, maybe the TSR two. The reason they cancelled it is because they thought 
actually, you know what? We don't need this aeroplane. Actually, maybe this aeroplane isn't going to deliver value for money and all those sort of actually sensible reasons to cancel a supersonic dart. I mean, you have a what if, don't you, on Hushkit about what if they'd commissioned, the, what if the TSR-2 had gone into action? And it's sort of like all what ifs. It's sort of, um, they all shot down in the Falklands or something like that. Anyway, but I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a declinist view of this country used to make great aeroplanes. And you think, all right, okay, maybe five great aeroplanes for the Second World War. You're going to really shake this thing down and find five great ones. And then, and we invented the jet engine. So why didn't, you know, that sort of spirit. And there, what was that book? There was a book about 15 years ago about all this, wasn't there? Uh, about the jet aeroplane? Oh, no. Well, no that's, no, that's, no, that's David Edgerton's um, book where he kind of says, that whole idea is is nonsense and you've all been fooling you've been mugging yourselves with that um idea of decline oh, but i think um, you you were oh were you referring to empire of the clouds or that's something? it that, that's yes that I mean. book that book yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 exactly and that and that which very much plays into the idea that you know what, what once we were great you know people used to go to farnborough and watch jet planes you know but there was no t- nothing on the telly <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 it's always this. It's, I mean, it, was, it kind of reminds me of uh, the idea that no one buys vinyl anymore. Well, the music industry didn't have to compete with video games in the 70s. There's a reason. It's not because they don't like music any less. It's because there are other things to do. And I think that, that, that you know, you could, you could look at one of those things as decline or the other one as improvement. Maybe not needing a high speed, low level nuclear bomber is a good thing that we're moving towards the 70s and detente, actually. That's an excellent point. And it's sort of, makes me then wonder how the cult grew. I remember a Eagle annual, uh, yeah. which is, uh, <laughs> as, as I'm sure you know, is it was, was a kind of boys, kind of pro-war boys comic thing, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I remember they did a spread on the TSR2, which was very much this tragedy of this great thing. And then yeah. t- fantastic takeoff magazine of the 80s also yeah. pushed push that idea and it's compelling the stories aren't they i mean they're oh yeah 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 well because because after all you know anything with a test pilot in is an exciting story isn't it test pilots are as the coolest human beings on the planet i think and so a story where they're they're trying out this airframe and it turns out to be brilliant but doomed i mean it's just got every it's got so it's so romantic isn't it? it's a boring politician who's trying to balance the books you know a boring old git he is also you get you know the the story of the story of politics in the seventies, the eighties in this country is, is a lot to do with governments cutting stuff, cutting this, that, and the other. You know, cutting nationalised industry, assault on na- nationalised industry, going on in the eighties. So that sort of we had Excalibur in the palm of our hands in the sixties, and we we melted it down for scrap. Is sort of the TSR story. You know, we had our hands on Excalibur and we let go. And it's it's also I guess interesting because we want our hero to have a vulnerability and to be against the odds. So even though we love the power and, you know, um, you know, B-52 is mighty and powerful yeah. people like that. But to have that martyrdom is kind of having your cake and eat it, isn't it? So it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. both formidable and powerful and a sad martyr at the same time. So it's got oh, everything yeah. you want in a hero there. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. And they were right all along. And they yeah. were and boring, boring people stop the genius, which is a big, which after all is a bit like a the, the idea of the inventor, the paradigm of the inventor. Very often the, the, the genius is stopped by the boring person. You know, Frank Whittles, the, the spin of Frank Whittles life story is that he was the brilliant genius, always pushing the ball uphill and, you know, the ball would get pushed down the hill by by shameful, faceless bureaucrats. And lots of things. That's not really what happened with Whittles' development of jet engine, not, not actually. That's a much better story than what really happened. And after all, 
you know, stories are how cultures talk to themselves rather than actually reading history books. And the story of the TSR2 is, is, is a fantastic one. You know, we had a moment where we nearly did something amazing and then we didn't. And, and also it kind of reinforces this is a country that was great once. It's all that. It's like people keep wanting to have that happen. It's yeah. kind of mystifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if it's... So Canada certainly has that with their arrow. Yeah, with the arrow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. France, maybe with the Mirage 4000. Maybe there's a few more French examples. I, I wonder if maybe it's not a very American thing. Do Americans yeah. go for it in the same way? I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that they've um because yeah. they tend to build. They 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 tend to spend the money, you know, and build. Just, just build, say yes build, to everything. Yeah, yeah. Build their recklessly expensive um, aircraft, don't they? So so I I don't know. I don't, you know if they'd cancelled the F thirty five in thirty years time, would there be like a F thirty five denied fan club? You know. Um. <laughs> Maybe I'm trying to think what their TSR two is. Maybe the B seven. B seventy Bumblebee or the uh, F twenty Tiger Shark. There's a little yeah. little bit of a of that uh, nostalgic vibe with those ones, isn't there? But they were moving at such a pace and spending so much money and being so confident in their commit, uh, you know, procurement decisions in, in a way that, although actually, so was the British establishment. I've just fallen completely into the trap there. I've fallen right into it because you know the Harrier is being developed at the same time, which is which is the most miraculous aeroplane. So like. You, you, you want a TSR2 and a Harrier? You know, you're just greedy. <laughs> oh, I found out the other week that the Harrier is almost exactly the same age as Selma Hayek. Lovely. That's my irrelevant fact. That I'm gonna add to That's that. fantastic. Does she do vertical uh, takeoffs and landings? It's the thing we don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to come up. <laughs> I'm going to guess, yeah. I'm going to guess. <laughs> what the flying fuck? is the podcast of hushkit.net don't forget to pre-order your copy of the hushkit book of warplanes volumes one and two from unbound.com the show was hosted by joe coles with special guest al murray engineered by tim linnell hushkit theme music performed and written by the nurses See you next time. What the flying fuck.